Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. The Red Apple Media Podcast Network presents This is Protecting America. Now, here's Emmy-winning journalist Rita Cosby. Welcome to another episode of Protecting America. President Biden's chaotic withdrawal from Afghanistan will go down as one of his presidency's biggest disasters and has frequently been cited as a reason his poll numbers have dropped. In fact, soon after that terrible pullout, the drop was dramatic as U.S. service members died protecting the airport and many Americans and Afghan allies were left behind under Taliban rule. So how do we look back at what happened and what's the current state of Afghanistan and the fate of those under this brutal Taliban regime? Joining us to talk about all of this is someone who certainly knows battle all too well, Lieutenant Colonel Oliver North. Ali, I've known you for so many years and you are just such a special person. You are such a great patriot, too. I want to get First of all, your reaction to what has just been, I think, an enormously bungled withdrawal of U.S. troops and your thoughts of what's going to happen now with Afghanistan. Well, let's you know, you and I go back so many years, but 20 years ago, uh, the decision was made to go to Afghanistan for the purpose of ensuring that the Taliban, which had basically been the host for al Qaeda, uh, would never be able to do that again. And I went. I was with the first U.S. combat unit to go into Afghanistan on October 7th, uh, 2001, a month after, uh, not even a full month after 9-11-01. And President Bush landed the Marine Expeditionary Force, uh, which was commanded at the time by a uh, Brigadier General Select by the name of Jim Mattis. And wow. back when he was, <laughs> I've known Jim Mattis since he was a second lieutenant. He was one of my second lieutenants. And uh, that initial entree of combat forces was supposed to make near, by the way, the, if you will, the homeland of the Taliban, near Kandahar, south, or southwest of Kandahar. And the, the goal was very straightforward. The Taliban will never be able to do this kind of thing again. And by, by the way, it's worked. Uh, for, the, for the entire time, there's never been a very serious action against us. At one time, there was a fellow by the name of Obama in the White House, and he decided he was going to start to withdraw. What we ended up doing was another surge. We did many of those, both in Iraq and Afghanistan. And then this president took over in January and decided he was going to make sure that the promise made earlier by the Taliban was an acceptable one. Donald Trump had negotiated with the Taliban in Qatar and and. The end result of that was going to be a withdrawal, but the withdrawal was not going to be based on a date. It was based on the conditions on the ground. In other words, if they didn't abide by the agreement, all bets were off, and we would 
would exact a very significant price on the Taliban leadership. The leadership of the Taliban, you may remember, are the folks who were held in Gitmo, five of them, leaders of the Taliban. The worst of the worst, Oliver North, right? The worst of the worst. right. Okay. And they were released to get the release of a deserter, Bo Bergdahl. That was done by President Obama. And on the way out the door, I can remember writing an op-ed, and I can remember saying it on air at Fox, that's a terrible mistake, because those people will be back and they will hurt us. And of course, we now see the evidence of it. Some of them were in that room in the, in the White House, of, excuse me, in the presidential palace, okay? At the end of the day, this president, Joe Biden, decided we would have a date certain to get everybody out. And at that point, the Afghan army, which we had trained and equipped, began to look around and see what's going to happen. At that point, their pay stopped. The folks who were supposed to provide the logistics support to them, the maintenance support, all pulled out. We abandoned the most important base in the country, and that was the Bagram Air Base. We abandoned the the great big airfields down in the south of the country, uh, Leatherneck Bastion. Others in Lashkargar and places like Mazari Sharif and Jalalabad were all abandoned by the Americans. And sometimes in the middle of the night, that was Bagram. And when the, when the Afghans looked around, even their best units like the commandos, which I, I had gone out and covered, I'd lived with those guys. I'd gone out and covered them and the wow. SEAL teams and the MARSOC units and the special forces guys who were their advisors on major operations to capture high value targets and to deny the opportunity for Al Qaeda and ISIS fighters to do the kinds of things that they're now doing throughout the country. And so at the end of the day, by the time he's made this decision, here's what we'd had. Over 780,000 American troops had been deployed to Afghanistan. 2,448 had died there or of wounds later on. Nearly 26,000 were wounded and were still counting. The U.S. contractors, there were more U.S. contractors killed than American combat forces, 3,846 of them. The Afghan military. The, the president said a terrible thing. It's been reiterated several times by the National Security Advisor and the Secretary of State. The comments being made that the Afghan army wouldn't fight. Let me just tell you something. I, I made two trips to the Western Pacific during a war called Vietnam. We had 54,200 and some odd, I think 54,258 Americans killed in that war. In this war, since 2014, 66,393 Afghan national military and policemen have been killed. Wow. Don't tell me they can't fight. That's one of the greatest insults I've ever heard from the mouth of a president of the United States. Other, other nations, the NATO nations that provided forces, 1,144 of them have killed. All this carnage, the number of gold star mothers and families in this country are stunning. And when you look at what's going on right now, it's sickening. And it's been going on because this president bungled it completely. The incompetence of this administration, who ignored advice from their military leaders, some of them at least, things could go very badly very quickly. Well, Biden actually said in his comments, he actually said that this unfolded, this is the words you use, unfolded faster than we expected. Think about what those words really mean. 
that it, it was, was frightening all, when I heard that. By the way, Ollie, it frightened me because I thought, gosh, he, they really had no clue. <laughs> well, and, and what's not only did they have no clue that it, how fast it would happen, they already expected that the Taliban would take over. That's what that means. They never explained that to anybody. Well, he had no clue about when it was going to happen. But think of these words. It unfolded faster than we expected. What that means is they did expect that the Taliban was eventually going to take over. They just didn't know when. I mean, that's a terrible admission because we've been telling everybody around the world, oh, this is going to end well. Well, it's not ending well. And in large part, they never expected it to. Apparently, he was fine with that. He somehow believed that the American people would back him on it. Uh, the American people have got to be appalled. And around the rest of the world, our credibility is shot just, uh, just exactly like it was after Saigon. You know, people have made the parallels, and I, I heard, I think, Leon Panetta said something. This is a Bay of Pigs moment. John yes. Kennedy acknowledged that it was his responsibility, but John Kennedy never paid a political price for the idea of conducting that operation because it was set up by his predecessor, Dwight Eisenhower. And, and the idea of this president coming in and saying, oh, it's all going to end well. Look, at, there's no doubt that the idea of ending the longest war in American history was the right thing to do, okay? But doing the right thing the wrong way can result in disaster, and that's exactly what we have here, a disaster. And everybody, we are talking to Lieutenant Colonel Oliver North, uh, who knows what he's talking about when he talks about warfare, of course, was there in Vietnam. And as you just mentioned, Ollie, too, you were with uh, sort of the first group that went in October 7th, 2001 into Afghanistan. Can you tell me what that was like? I went to Bagram, by the way, Ollie. I was there with U.S. troops in 2005 and yeah. spent some time great in base. and around Bagram. Yeah, yeah. very great base. And, and at that time, boy, things were much more under control. Um, what was it like when you went in October 7th, and what do you think is going to happen now to Afghanistan? First of all, you, you never lie about to the American people about what, what the costs might be, and, and Biden did. He acknowledged that they'd lost the ability to electronically control aircraft. If you, if you listen to the long litany of things that he said in there, one of the things he said is we're now having to go to what they call VOR, visual flight rules. Okay, VFR means that you no longer have the automatic separation that's being done by an air traffic control system, an electronic system. The, the separation that's required under those conditions is about a half mile per airplane. If you go to visual flight rules, you now it's now something in the neighborhood of 10 to 14 miles. That slows everything down on the ground going out and everything in the air coming down. So their airplanes is a consequence of that that had to turn around. They'd already launched to bringing stuff in, people and stuff in, and they're supposed to take people and stuff out, right? And some of them had to turn around and go back to where they started from, in Turkey, in the Emirates, somewhere at sea. All of that, that kind of stuff stops, and they have to go back and refuel. And so the idea of moving people quickly out of one air base in Afghanistan that most Afghans cannot get near, frightening to, th to think about people trying to get through the cordon who might have been an advisor, might have been a medic, might have been an interpreter with one of their units. I had, I had 19 different interpreters who worked with me when I was covering the war, right, over the course of 20 years. And they started out in 2001, and here we are 20 years later. And we're still trying to get some of them out. And I've, I've been on the phone 
I had to see my phone bill trying to make sure that we could get in contact with guys who we knew, and I kept their phone numbers, and we kept in touch with each other over the time. Sometimes I'd get the same interpreter when I went back on one of my trips. Those are the kinds of people that we desperately have to get out because, God forbid, we'd ever have to go back in. We'd need their help. Why is our southern border wide open and people are just crossing there? And meanwhile, these true patriots who have been helping America, defending America, are having a hard time getting visas. The, the hypocrisy is terrible. Well, exactly. And, and Lord knows who the, the million that have come across our southern border. God knows how many of the terrorists, or terrorist watch list, have already gotten in and, and moved to some American city somewhere. Just waiting for the phone call that says, time for you to meet Allah. I mean, th- what we've done is created enormous vulnerabilities for years in the future. And if you're a, let's say you're in the Taiwan Ministry of Defense, right? And the United States is about to sell you some more aircraft and, and, and ships that you need to defend your little island from the communist Chinese. There's got to be people meeting all over the world in NATO headquarters. Would the United States actually honor the commitments they've made? With this president, that's a major question now. And it's going to be for the next president as well. Well, here's, here's the bottom line of it. What we ought to be doing right now is somebody smart. You know, I, I, I was blessed to work in Ronald Reagan's National Security Council his, and, and his staff. What Ronald Reagan would have us do is having us look at what if. See, what if this happens or what if that happens? And so planning for operations, even on very short notice. Grenada was a very short notice. You know, we turned around a, a Marine unit that was on the, on the way to the Mediterranean and turned it around to become the Marine force that went into Grenada. All that tech took place in planning that ran, oh gosh, probably five or six nonstop days and nights to make it happen. When, when we captured the hijackers of the Aquile Loro, okay, all that was done because we put forces in place to do what needed to be done. And when they got off and they were being flown out of Egypt, by Mubarak, who'd lied to Reagan about it, we knew exactly what to do. And we forced the plane down, and uh, granted, it's only a handful of people, it's nothing like the Taliban. But the bottom line is, those were all terrorists from major terrorist organizations. In his speech, the president says, well, what we're going to do is we're going to be able to fight uh, over the horizon. What that means is, he thinks that we're going to deal with terrorism by aircraft flying from other places that have to refuel multiple times because we have no bases left in Afghanistan. And think of this. Because of the distance of the bases from which they launch, there's no search and, search and recovery effort that could be made because all those are relatively short-range aircraft. You have no bases. Even, even when we rescued Scott O'Grady, it was a Marine unit that did so. Okay, Scott O'Grady at least had the benefit of a naval force off the coast of Yugoslavia. There's no such thing as the Gulf of Afghanistan. Think about it. You've got to overfly hostile countries. Pakistan is certainly no friend of ours. The Iranians aren't going to say, oh, yeah, go ahead and fly overhead. So how are they going to get there? I mean, if you think about what this administration has just done, is create mission impossible for the next time a terror attack comes out of Afghanistan. And I hate to say this, but I predict it won't take long which is such an ominous prediction. The bottom line of it is, the buck does stop with Joe Biden. This would never have happened if Joe Biden hadn't, you know, basically decided, as he did back, by the way, with Saigon, that Gerald Ford was not going to get the support that he begged for on April 8th. And by then, the, the country was gone, and by the 30th of the month, it's over. 
And that same kind of thing could happen here with an even more disastrous end of this thing, but a lot more difficulty in anybody escaping it because it's not it's just a short ride out to the Gulf of Tonkin. It's, it's hundreds of miles over hostile territory. God help You know, us. it's so... God help us. You know, as we hear all this, Ollie, and, you know, I want to close with, what do you think Americans should be thinking about um, as we're heading now? And how concerned, how concerned do you believe Americans should be at this moment? Because they are terrified when they see what's happening in Afghanistan. They're terrified, as you're talking about, of it coming here. Um, for folks listening, what would you say about their concerns? Well, look, at, I, I'm the chronic optimist. I believe that the consequences of this, looking out you know, many months, is going to be a at least the House of Representatives and probably the Senate as well fall in the Republican hands. At least you can s- slow the steam engine of the, of the Biden fiascos. I mean, this is not the only problem we've got. It's, it's the most Im- immediate and it's the most dramatic and it's the most visual. But look what's going on at the southern border. I mean, look at what's happening in the U.S. economy right now. All these kinds of things are the consequence of this regime. And so, ladies and gentlemen, pray for our country. Pray for Give us a president with the leadership capabilities required to govern this country and make sure that the, the ideals that were right there with our founders are adhered to, that we're not going to be... We've, we've just spent literally hundreds, millions of man days in teaching military personnel about critical race theory. Why? Why? I mean, that doesn't improve the readiness of any branch of the armed forces. If, if 1.5 million active duty and reserve and National Guard troops were pulled off training and readiness and preparations, and that's 1.5 million man days, because they had to spend an entire day doing that craziness, trying to make social justice warriors out of them. That's the kind of nut job we've got running the country today. Running the, he's trying to run the country. Actually, his only job is to run the executive branch of the United States of America. And, he's, and, and I, I'm not even sure that Joe Biden realizes that's his only job because he's mucked up so many things. We're in deep trouble all around the world. And, if, and, it, and I guess the next course is people say, well, let's impeach him. They'd be careful what you wish for because who becomes president if a president resigns? If a president dies like John Kennedy, or a president is impeached and removed from office, who becomes president? Oh, my goodness. Kamala Harris? Are you kidding me? We would go from bad to worse. So I hope, Mr. I hope Mr. Biden completes his entire term in office. I just hope we have a Congress that's in the hands of reasonable people and people who have, care about the country, not just their own political futures. And it would somehow survive, just like we did. We survived Jimmy Carter. We survived Jimmy Carter with hostages. Remember, 56 hostages paraded down the streets of the Ayatollahs in Iran. And I don't want to see that for this, but the country survived it. We elected Ronald Reagan, thank God. Where is he now when we need him? (laughs) Well, we so appreciate your perspective. And Lieutenant Colonel Oliver North, uh, great friend and great patriot to America. And boy... Uh, do we need great leadership and a great message of security and safety right now? Thank you for being part of the part of, part of protecting America and loving America as you do. And great success to you. Thank you so much, my friend, and you too. And thank you for your great service to this nation. Thank okay. you, Ollie. 
Semper Fi. God bless America and God bless you. Pray for our country, folks. And everybody, I'll be back soon with another great edition of Protecting America. And of course, you can catch me every weeknight, 10 p.m. to midnight on the legendary WABC Radio. This is Rita Cosby, and thanks for all you do to protect America. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.